As we begin our time in God's Word today, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning thanking you for the blessings we've already enjoyed and the answered prayers and the songs and the prayers that we've offered, the Word that we have read. Lord, I pray that as we break your Word today, break open the bread of life, that you would teach from your Word, that you would enable me to speak clearly and to teach well, that these, your people, might be built up and edified and that we might work together for the sake of the gospel, that we might work together to disciple one another and glorify you. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to be in two different passages today. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5 to start with and look at five verses there. And then on my second point, we're going to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. So if you want to go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5 and then hold a, a finger in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to look at both of those passages as we continue to consider the makeup of a church. What is the makeup or the consistency of a church? Uh, you know, you, that famous little child saying, here's the church, here's the steeple, open it up and here are all the people. Well, who are the people? What are the people made up of? Why do we have membership in a church? Why do we have deacons? Why do we have pastors? And so last week I started with the question of the, pa- of the deacon. What are the roles and responsibilities and qualifications for a deacon so that we could be ready to elect the new deacon this Sunday morning? Uh, so continuing with that theme, I want today to look at the office of the pastor. Now that might seem rather self-serving given that I'm the pastor, but, but uh, it is important for us all to understand what the roles and qualifications of a pastor are. So I don't want you, again, as I warned last week, just because you're not a pastor, just because you don't ever plan to be a pastor, doesn't mean you shouldn't know what the responsibilities and qualifications of a pastor are. And there are three good reasons for that. Number one is for some of you young folks in here, you may have to serve on a pastor search committee at some point. I say young folks because I have a high bar with Brother Watson that I need to be here for at least 50 years. And I've been warned by the existing church uh, search committee that called me that they don't want to have to do this again. So uh, that's a lot of responsibility and I intend to fulfill it. But uh, even so, I'm not sovereign and I'm not in control of God's purpose for my life. So you need to know. What are you looking for in a pastor so that if some of you teenagers have to serve on a search committee when you're 50 years old you can, or, or, or 60 years old, you can do that. Um, but the, uh, the other reason is that you need to know what I am responsible for, for and what your responsibilities are to me or with me as we serve together in this church. Uh, there are a lot of assumptions, and we're going to talk about that today. Just like there are with deacons, there are a lot of assumptions about what the pastor should and shouldn't do, and uh, some of them are right, some of them are wrong, and so your expectations need to be measured based on what the biblical qualifications and responsibilities are for the pastor. But you also need to know so that you can hold me accountable because uh, that's what we do here as a church. That's what we're here for is to hold each other accountable. And then lastly, you need to know, because I'm not the only pastor you will ever listen to or minister with 
or be responsible for working with or whatever. Not just within this church, but we have two revivals a year. So we have pastors come from other churches. We have uh, there might be a time when you work with another pastor in the association or whatever. And you need to be able to to identify a qualified pastor versus an unqualified pastor. You might be called to serve on an ordination council or to to um, uh, invite someone to come and preach here when I'm not here, filling in for me or for uh, revival, like I said. And you need to have your wits about you so that you know how to discern what is a good and faithful servant of the Lord in the person that you call to do that. So to look at that today, I want to look at the roles and qualifications of the pastor. And then, just like I did with the deacons, I want to look at some myths that have kind of grown up around the office of the pastor. So to do that, let's read together 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 1, God's Word says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So in this passage, I want to consider three responsibilities of the pastor. But before I do that, I want to address probably some confusion that you might have had over why different denominations have different types of pastors. You might have noticed that some denominations have bishops and priests. Some denominations have uh, elders and pastors. Some have bishops, pastors, and elders. And it's just, it can be a, a bit confusing to look at the way, say, we as Baptists do it with just one pastor and deacons, and then the way the Presbyterians do it with elders and, and, and a pastor and, and all of that. And you can think, well, why is there so much confusion? Well, the, the reason, I, I think part of the reason, there is confusion over, within denominations over why uh, we have these different offices within the same that seem to have the same responsibilities as the pastor is because the Bible itself uses three different Greek words to refer to the office of the pastor. And so it actually those three words help us in understanding the responsibilities of the pastor, but they've led to some confusion among denominations about it. But for example, the English word that we have for bishop comes from the Greek word episcopus, which is where we, they get the Episcopal church, for example. The word elder comes from the Greek word presbyteris, which you might hear in that, the Presbyterian church. And the word, uh, the word pastor comes from the Greek word for shepherd, which is poimen. Uh, as Baptists, we believe that all three of those words are used to refer to a singular office. They're not three different offices. 
They are the same office that we call pastor. And the reason we believe that is because of passages like 1 Peter chapter 5. So you'll notice that all three of these words, and I'll point it out to you, all three of these words show up in the text that I've just written as Peter is writing to the elders of the Hebrew church. And uh, we believe that all of these responsibilities are wrapped up in one office because the Bible repeatedly uses these same responsibilities, these different uh, titles to refer to the same office. So from these words, I want you to see that the pastor is responsible for discipline, for devotion, and for doctrine. So for discipline, devotion, and doctrine. First, the pastor is responsible for discipline. Notice how Peter begins this charge to the elders of the church. Notice in verse 1, he says, I exhort the elders among you. Now here we have that Greek word presbyteros. Now this word, uh, the, the reason we translate it elder is because it means maturity or wisdom or age, okay? It's used, sometimes it is used to refer just to older people. But when it's referring to the office of pastor, it is referring to a person who is mature or wise or uh, is, shows good judgment. And this has historical significance in the life of the nation of Israel. Remember back in Exodus chapter 18, when Moses is worn out because he is judging night and day the cases that the Israelites bring to him. And so remember, Moses knows the law of God. He has a close relationship with God. He goes in and meets with God personally, and the people don't. And so they need Moses or they need someone who will judge for them on specific cases how to apply the law of God. And Moses is worn out because he's spending all day every day doing this judgment as people bring their, uh, their case law to him. And his father-in-law, Jethro, comes in to visit and he notices that, that Moses is overwhelmed. And so men, in the only good case where a father-in-law is ever good, given good advice... No, I'm just kidding. Uh, in, in probably many of uh, one of many cases where a father-in-law is ever good at giving good advice, uh, Jethro gives wise uh, counsel, and he recommends that Moses select wise men from among the people of Israel who will judge in specific cases, and so they will judge based. Uh, they will be divided up by their tribe and their clan. And they will judge for Moses on these simpler cases. And then the bigger cases that they can't solve will come up, will trickle up to um, Moses. And so Moses can get some rest and he's not overwhelmed by the work that he has. So these judges would later be called elders. And they were tasked with applying God's law in their specific cities and in their clans they were to take God's word and apply it to the local congregation that they were over. And we have that same responsibility that we find in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 15, we're told that the elders of the church at Jerusalem gave a judgment over whether Gentiles should be circumcised or not. And every church, quite honestly, needs 
Someone who will fill that responsibility for judgment. So one responsibility of the pastor is to provide discipline. Quite literally, to apply the word of God to specific cases that arise within the church. And now this goes beyond, you might be thinking, well, yeah, that's what your preaching's for. You're supposed to preach to us about sin and salvation and all that. But this goes beyond just preaching to you about sin generally. It, it, it means going all the way down to calling you out individually for sins that you might be dealing with. It involves settling disputes and providing biblical counsel and giving direction to the church as a whole about the wisdom and will of God. Second, the pastor is responsible for devotion. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, Peter charges the elders to shepherd the flock. Now that word shepherd there is the Greek word poimene, which is also translated as pastor. The pastor's responsibility is to serve as sort of an under-shepherd. Notice in verse 4 that it says that Jesus is the chief shepherd of his people. So the pastor is to imitate Christ in the way that Christ cares for his sheep. So how did Christ care for his sheep? Well, he taught his sheep. He led his sheep. He saved, for his sheep, he saved his sheep. And in a similar way, the pastor is to teach and to lead and always to point the people to Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of their salvation. And along with that, in Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 29, Paul tells the Ephesian elders to pay attention to the flock. So there's that idea again of shepherding. And the analogy he gives is he says that there will be wolves that will come in after I leave and they will try to lead the people astray. And you, that I'm leaving in charge as elders in this church, you are to defend the flock. You are to protect them. And so the way that the New Testament views the role of shepherd or pastor is that I am to protect you from false teaching. I'm to keep you from falling away. I'm to keep you from being distracted or deceived or led astray by false teaching and the ways of the world. Third, the pastor is responsible for doctrine. Again, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, Peter tells the elders to exercise oversight. Now that word there for oversight is the Greek word episcopus, which means to act as an overseer or, an, or, or as a bishop. So the pri- primarily that means that the pastor should ensure that the church holds to the faith, to the strong doctrine and practice of the apostles. The pastor in his role as bishop is to provide continuity all the way from the apostles to the present day. And this is what's so significant about the ordination of a pastor. That's why we do an ordination or a laying on of hands. Is It's the idea of passing on that responsibility of carrying on the faith, of defending the faith, of ensuring that the church is faithful in the way that it teaches and it preaches and it leads and it does its mission. That is the responsibility of the pastor in his role as overseer or bishop. 
Now, to be clear, we as Baptists, we don't believe that our pastors are popes, okay? We don't believe that the pastor has some infallible interpretation of Scripture. So to borrow an analogy that my friend Rob Fawcett from First Presbyterian Church used one time, the pastor is like a referee, all right? So in any, uh, any sport, you have a referee or an umpire, right? And that umpire or that referee, he goes and he studies that rule book and he knows that rule book. He's supposed to know that rule book inside and out. He practices it week in and week out. And when it comes to the game, the teammates uh, or the teams, they are to listen to what that referee says. When he says it's a holding penalty, it's a holding penalty. When he says it's a, uh, offsides, it's an offsides. When he says it's a foul ball, it's a foul ball. Unless he gets it wrong enough, right? And then everybody starts screaming that he doesn't have glasses or that he needs glasses or that he doesn't know what he's doing or go back home or whatever. And sometimes that's wrong-headed, right? Well, let's be honest. Most of the time... That's wrong-headed. Most of the time, we think we know the rules better than we actually know the rules of the game. But sometimes, we know them as good as the ref does, and we're right. Or an instant replay happens, and it turns out that the ref didn't see it like it was. So, you all have the rule book, right? And I study, and I prepare, and I'm trained, and I'm ordained, and all of that good stuff. And on... Most occasions, if I am preaching the truth of the Word of God, then you should listen to me. But if, if a ref comes out or, or an umpire comes out for a baseball game and someone hits a home run and he runs around with his arms up in the air saying, touchdown, you're going to say, you're in the wrong game, brother. You need to change the rule book. And sometimes it requires you as members to hold a pastor accountable, to say, you're preaching from the wrong rule book, brother. You're, you're going the wrong direction. And so I am not infallible, but where I am preaching from the authority of Scripture, and it is clear that Scripture is speaking, and I am speaking from the Word of God, then you are to be subject to what I say. Subject to what I say, because it's what the Word says. Now, that is exactly what Peter says in verse 5. He says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. So now that we've seen the responsibilities of the pastor, let's consider the qualifications of the pastor. To do that, let's flip over to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7. 1 Timothy 3, starting in verse 1, it says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, as overseer, uh, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condition, condemnation of the devil. 
Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So I don't have enough time to get into every last one of these qualifications, but let me make three quick points about the qualifications of the pastor. First, you'll notice that a lot of these qualifications sound just like the qualifications for the deacon. And that's reasonable, right? I mean, anybody who is going to serve in the church ought to be sober-minded and not a drunkard and able to, uh, or wise and, and, and careful with his, his lifestyle. And so it makes sense that those qualifications would interlap. So just like a deacon is to be wise and well-respected, the pastor is too. But there are two qualifications for the pastor that are different from the deacon. First of all, in verse 2, Notice it says that the pastor should be able to teach. So a pastor should have an aptitude and an ability to teach the Word of God. Second, in verse 6, we're told that he must not be a recent convert. Now keep in mind, one of the words that is used for pastor is elder. And now that doesn't necessarily reflect the age of the person in that office, but it does mean that the pastor should be mature in his faith. And now this is the point where I get on my soapbox a little bit, all right? So Baptist, and I've seen it in just about every church I've ever served in, Baptists have a bad habit of seeing the emotional fervor and sincerity of a person who claims to be called to be a pastor, and they assume that it automatically means they are qualified. That someone is emotional, they're, they're passionate about their preaching, they, maybe they speak well, or they, um, they are uh, sincere in their faith, but they've only been saved for a year. Or they, uh, they got the call at the moment that they got saved. Now, the Bible specifically here in this passage that we just read says, do not do that. Do not appoint someone to pastor who is a recent convert because it can lead them to conceit. And it happens all the time, brothers and sisters. It happens all the time. And so one of the things that I would uh, warn you of and hope that we can correct here at this church and in our association and in our denomination is that we would seek out men who, first of all, show a a, a qualification of knowledge of Scripture. They show that they understand Scripture. They show that they know what they're talking about. They show that they have read the Bible and read it thoroughly. And second, that they uh, they have conviction. They have a a devotion to the Lord. They have a a life that shows a conviction. It's not just, hey, they they just came to the Lord and man, they are on fire, but we have no track record of how they're going to live their life. We need to wait and to watch and see how they live and that they live in conviction. And second, that they live with wisdom, that they show godly wisdom, they show that they understand uh, the ways of the Lord and that they have lived that out. And someone who is young or young in the faith does not have those things. And so it doesn't mean that they can't be a pastor, but it means that they need to show, uh, to live in faithfulness for a while before we give them such a significant responsibility so that 
we um, uh, uh, make sure that we don't lead them into this trap of being conceited. So with the roles and qualifications understood, let me turn to some myths about the pastor. And there are a lot, but I thought of three, and I just don't have time to get to any more. But these are three major myths that I want to deal with. One is that the pastor has no real authority in the church other than to preach. Now, there are some who say who think that the pastor ought to just show up on Sunday morning, say a few nice things and then leave. (laughs) Some of y'all might wish I'd do that. But uh, (laughs) uh, some think that the pastor has no business getting into our business. Others think that the pastor preaches, but he has no real authority over the worship service or the direction of the church. But as I've explained, the pastor serves as judge and overseer. And I have a responsibility to apply the word of God to this church as a whole, but also to individual members of it. And yes, that does mean that if your lifestyle comes into conflict with the word of God, then I, as an elder of this church, have a responsibility and obligation to confront you in that. Myth number two. And this is the sticky one, the one I've been dreading all day. Uh, (laughs) Myth number two, the pastor should be there for me when I'm ailing. Now, I, I say this is a sticky one for a couple of reasons. Number one, there is no lack of people who have left a church, not this church, but other churches, maybe this church, I don't know. No lack of people who have left a church because the pastor didn't visit them. Um, and let me just point out, before I say anything else, I am not directing this at anybody because I don't know that anybody has that attitude here. And there are people that have surgeries and ailments and all that every week. So I'm not thinking of anybody in particular when I say what I'm about to say. And I want to also say that I want you to hear me all the way through on this before you pass judgment. All right. So first of all, let me state clearly, there is no biblical basis for the modern expectation that the pastor will make a personal visit when a member is ailing or in the hospital. Now, you might think, well, wait a minute, pastor. You just said that you're supposed to be a shepherd. And it sounds to me like a shepherd ought to care for his flock, according to what you said. But remember that what I said about the word shepherd. Now, the word shepherd does not mean be there for my surgery or when I have a sniffle or when, I, uh, when I'm in pain. And it's, to think that is to misunderstand what it means to be a shepherd. Remember, to be a shepherd means to guard or protect, to lead and to, uh, to set boundaries around the flock. There's only one passage of Scripture that I could ever find that seems to hint at any sort of responsibility for the pastor with respect to sickness or disease or or ailment. And that is James chapter 5, verse 14, which says, Is any among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them anoint him with oil and pray for him. Now, there are a couple of things that I want you to notice about this statement, and I'm going to try to avoid to get on, uh, getting on another soapbox here. But notice first, that passage starts with the phrase, let him call. In other words, the person who is sick 
should ask the elders of the church to pray for him. I can't tell you the number of times, and it is a, is a real challenge for me as a pastor. I can't tell you the number of times where I have heard about someone's sickness or someone's ailment or disgruntledness or uh, pain or whatever it is, third hand, not second hand, but third hand, after everybody else in the church knows about it, and then the person who is sick or ailing judges me because I didn't come by to see them. They never told me they had a sickness or that they were ailing. They just assumed that I would know eventually and, and then judge me for it. Um, second, this appears to be a public formal act by the elders of the church, either in a worship service or in some other gathering. So notice elders there is plural, implying that this is not just one pastor making a visit, but a gathering of mature Christians in the church to come together and pray over an ailing member. You know what it's more like? It's more like what we do in this worship service or what we do on Wednesday night than a personal pastoral visit by the pastor of the church. Um, Now, having said that, I want you to understand that I care about you I care about your pains and your trials. I care about each one of you and I love you and I want the work of the Lord and the word of the Lord to do its work in you. And, if, uh, and I want you to know, first of all, that I get up every morning at 5.30 in the morning, read scripture and pray for those who are on my prayer list. I pray for those who are hurting, who are in need of the Lord's work in our church. And if I have the chance, and I mean sincerely, if I have the chance, I will pay you a visit. It may not be the day of your surgery. It may not be the week of your surgery. But I will, I will pay you a visit when I am able to come by and see you. And certainly, if you ask, I'll be there. If you say, preacher, I'm just, I'm, and I'm worried about this. And I don't know how this is going to, ha- how this is going to go. I would love for you to come sit with my family while, while I go through this surgery. I'll be there to sit with your family. And if I can't be there, I'll call one of the deacons that can be there. But we will be there to support you in your time of need. Um, but I'm not, I want you to understand, I'm not doing that so much because of my pastoral responsibility, but because I'm your brother in Christ. And I care about you. And I want to set the example that we should care about each other. And so I believe that I should do it just to lead the church, but not because it's some biblical responsibility that I as a pastor have. Lastly, myth number three, the pastor is the CEO of the church. It's become very popular to take the word overseer and to apply that to modern business practices and to say, well, the pastor is like a CEO or a general manager of the church. And so in many churches, the pastor is quite literally viewed as the CEO. I've seen organizational charts where it basically shows the pastor in that type of position. And there's something wrong with the fact that a church even has an organizational chart to start with. But that's another issue. He is, uh, you know, they view him that he's supposed to provide the vision for the church or to come up with evangelistic plans or to make decisions on every little thing that might come up. And this is not what it means to be a biblical overseer. 
The pastor provides spiritual and doctrinal oversight, but he is not responsible for every decision that is made in the church. As I've already said last week, that uh, the deacons are here for many of those responsibilities. They're responsible for the physical care and needs of the church. And as we'll talk about next week, every one of us in this church is gifted with something that benefits and blesses this church. And so we all are responsible for the needs of this church and for caring for this church in certain ways. So it's not that every issue that arises in the church is a gospel issue or a doctrinal issue. Some things are. And when they are, you'll hear from me. (laughs) But until they are, we need to all work together using our gifts and our talents to get those things done and to address them. So under the leadership of Jesus Christ and by the word of God, the Lord has called me to be a spiritual judge and shepherd and overseer. And he's called you as members of this church to listen to my discipline, protection, and teaching when it is clearly from the word of God. When we both follow our callings, God is glorified, people are discipled, and the gospel goes out into the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, for the truth of your word. Lord, we thank you that you so clearly state what the offices of the church are, what the responsibilities are, and the qualifications for them. And Lord, I do pray for our church, that we would be faithful. Lord, I pray that we would be faithful in the way we treat each other, faithful in our callings, faithful to serve and carry out the responsibilities we've been given. And Lord, that I pray that we would be uh, shrewd as vipers when it comes to uh, the... Uh, calling of a pastor when it comes to listening to those who claim the authority of a pastor lord that we would weigh them against scripture that we would uh we would be uh, wary of those who would uh, be young but yet claim to have some uh, emotional high that leads them to feel that they're qualified to be a pastor lord i pray that each one of us would uh, edify one another that we would build one another up that we would care for one another as we carry out our callings and our work in this, in this community and in this church. Pray that you would bless us now as we respond. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.